As we open God's Word this morning, let's also open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for Your blessings. And we thank You for Your Word that teaches us and instructs us and guides us in our life. And we pray that as we open Your Word, as we look at what it has to say to us today, Lord, I pray that You would guide our hearts and our thinking. pray that You would allow us to be transformed. That You would soften our hearts that we would be able to hear what you have to say to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, our perspective on life shapes all that we do, shapes the things that we say, the kind of attitudes that we have. And a very simple and classic example of perspective is, is the glass half full or half empty? And there is no right answer. It depends on your perspective. Uh, The glass is the same, the amount of water in the glass is the same, but how you look at it changes how you see what's uh, what's in that glass of water. Your perspective uh, changes. Just this week, uh, I asked Lydia how her day was. And she said it was a beautiful day. And I was like, okay. Um, Now, was it the weather she was talking about? Did she have a beautiful day of interactions with other people? Uh, was it just that she was feeling good that day? It turns out it, it was just the weather, but, but I needed to understand the perspective to understand the answer to her question when I asked her how her day was. Uh, so it depends on your perspective. What, what are you looking for? What are you, uh, what are you trying to get at? What bit of information are you trying to extract in that question of how was your day? It all depends on your perspective. And so I want us to be thinking about perspective as we come back to Joseph. This is our, uh, we've, this is our last one in our series of Joseph. And so we're in Genesis chapter 50 today, looking at the end of the book of Genesis and also the end of the story of Joseph. So we've been following him since uh, early this year working through his story and seeing the lessons that we learn. And here, uh, we also can learn something from Joseph as, as we come to the end of his story here. And here, Joseph has, and what I want us to think about today as we look at Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, is to look at the perspective Joseph has on life. The godly perspective that he has on the events that are going on around him and, and how that perspective actually works its way out in his life. So it's not just that he has a certain perspective, but it, he has a certain perspective and then it impacts his life. It affects how he lives day to day. It affects the things he does, the things he says, and the attitudes that he has to life. And so we need to be looking at life from a godly perspective as well to see what is God doing, but then also interpreting it and putting it into practice in our lives and saying, well, how should I live my life now that I see things from that perspective? So that's what I want us to be thinking about today as we look at Genesis chapter 50. But before we get into Genesis chapter 50, just a very quick recap here. Joseph and his family, remember, they're all now down in Egypt and they have been in Egypt for 17 years. So God has... has brought Joseph and his family down to Egypt in response to a famine that was uh, going through that whole region. 
And they seem to have settled into life fairly well. In Genesis chapter 47, verse 27, it says that, and it's speaking about after the famine, it says, Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. So they gained property, they had wealth, they had children, things were going very well for them. So they survived the famine that had lasted for seven years, and then after that they seemed to have flourished down in Egypt. But then, as life happens, remember Jacob, Joseph's father, had passed away and had ended his life with giving a blessing to his sons and to his two grandsons, the two sons of Joseph. And he gives them a special blessing. And so now we join the story in Genesis chapter 50. With all the family there, his father has, passed, has recently passed away and we find Joseph preparing for the funeral of his father. So Joseph here is our example of a godly perspective in action. And we need to keep in mind, too, that godly perspective is important, but then it does need to be tied into action. And so, as we look at Joseph here, we see this godly perspective in action. And so, we, we want us, I want us to look and to see what, what we have there. And the first, thing, the first thing we see is that Joseph keeps his word. Joseph keeps his word. So in Genesis chapter 50, uh, just starting in verse 1, it says, Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. He was grieving for his father. And then in verse 4, he, it goes on to say, When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, My father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, that we are simply to let our words stand. Yes or no? Be clear and straight up. When you say you're going to do something do it. Don't embellish. Don't be vague. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't say anything more than that. Jesus' brother James in James chapter 5 gives us similar words. And he says very much the same thing. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Don't go around waffling on, an, on the issue. Don't go around uh, uh, debating about it. Just say what you mean. Say it clearly, straightforward, and then Hold to that. Hold on to that. When you've said you're going to do something, do it. There's nothing complicated about that, really. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. And this is what, exactly what Joseph said. And Joseph does. So, we see a couple of things that Joseph does here. First of all, in that passage I read, he said, My father made me swear an oath and said, I'm about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Joseph made a commitment to his father here that he now needs to fulfill. And it's, it's interesting because when you look back at, at what Joseph and what actually transpired there, is it wasn't actually Joseph, but uh, Jacob asked all of his sons. It wasn't simply Joseph. But when you look, it's, 
it, he makes that request of all of his uh, of all of his sons. He says in the end of, Je- of Genesis chapter 49, he's there with all of his all of his sons, and Jacob gives them these instructions. He says, "I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite." And he goes on to describe it. And but Joseph has taken this responsibility on himself. So presumably Joseph is the one with the with the the resources to do this. He's got the gumption. He's got the initiative to make sure this happens. But he seems to have taken on the responsibility uh, for this to actually take place. Now you no- might normally expect the oldest son to take responsibility for this and make sure that his father's wishes were done. But here in this case, I guess Joseph is the one who's in position of power and authority and has the resources. So Joseph takes it upon himself and says, I need to do this. I need to make sure my father uh, goes and gets buried where he wants. I need to make sure that I fulfill my commitment that I made to to my father. My father asked me to do something. I need to do it. And so he was keeping his word. He had that godly perspective on life that I have committed to do something, so now I need to fulfill that commitment. Even if, even though my father, he's dead, he doesn't know whether I'm actually going to do it or not, but I know that I made that commitment to my father to see that done. And so, I need to do it. So, Pharaoh grants him his leave to go and do this and to, to bury his father, and they actually go with some great procession back to Canaan and uh, bury his father and have a seven-day period of mourning uh, and do all that's required. But in this, as well as Joseph's commitment and keeping his word to his father, he also makes a promise to Pharaoh in a way. Because he says in Genesis 50, verse 5, Now let me go up and bury my father. And look what he says to Pharaoh. Then I will return. Very simply, then I will return. And then look what he does. Verse 14, Genesis chapter 50, verse 14. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. Those are, it's just a little, just a little bit in there, but look at that commitment. Joseph tells Pharaoh, I will return. What does he do? He returns. Very simple, very straightforward, keeping his word. His godly perspective on life says he should keep his word. And he does it. So we, we, but we know that's not always easy to do. It can actually be very difficult at times to keep our word. Sometimes we agree to do something and then we just forget about it. We forget that we actually agreed to do that. We have a conversation with someone and we say, yes, I'll, I'll meet you at a certain place at a certain time and then you... It, it completely leaves your mind. And, and so sometimes we do that. But sometimes we agree to do something and then find we really actually don't want to do it. And so we start to, to make excuses. Maybe you've agreed that you'll rake the leaves on Saturday, but you don't really want to do it. And so you're praying all week for heavy rains to come on Saturday so you don't actually have to do it. And then Saturday comes and you find all sorts of reasons why you couldn't do it. Oh, I needed to do this and I was kind of tired and my leg was a bit sore and my shoulder was... And so I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And you find all kinds of reasons to not fulfill your word. We do that. 
We do that. That's life, but maybe that's not what God wants us to do. When we say we should do some, when we say we're going to do something, we should actually do it. And even when it's hard to keep your word, we need to do that. Because in some ways, you think about it, it would have been easy for Joseph to say, you know, let me just stay here. Let me not go back to Egypt. Things are good now. You know, I'm here with all my family to bury my father. Let me just stay here. Is Pharaoh going to send his armies to come and get me? Ah, probably not. So let me just stay. It won't make any difference. I've done what I needed to do. I, I helped them through the time of famine. Haven't I done enough for Egypt? Let me just stay here in Canaan. But he doesn't do that because he said to Pharaoh, I will return. And he, so he needs to do that. So he goes back and he doesn't just go back on his own. He takes his whole family back with him. So he's showing a real uh, capacity at keeping his word there. The second thing we see is humility. And humility isn't really something that's a, a highly regarded virtue these days. We uh, don't exalt the humble. We like to... Uh, to put on a good face for other people. I was reading just this week that in, some, in one very unscientific study it was, that was looking at selfies, it said that, that women take an average of seven selfies before they find, get one that they're happy with to, to post out on social media. For the men, we're, we're maybe a little better. We only take four before we're happy uh, to, uh, to post something. Why? Because we don't want to look bad. Right? We don't want to, to, to put something out there that doesn't reflect well on us. Occasionally we might, but maybe, but the only time we put something out there where we look bad is when we have deliberately done it. And we made ourselves deliberately look bad, and so we're still in control of it. But the real cringeworthy pictures, we, we, we delete them from our phone right away, so nobody gets to see those ones. So, humility is not a highly regarded virtue. Yet, this is what uh, we see with Joseph in, Joseph in Genesis chapter 15 to 19. It says, Now, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God now, that's a very interesting passage. Joseph's brothers there seem to be twisting what's happening here and because they're afraid of what Joseph has done. After 17 years, they still haven't come to grips with their own sin and with what they have done. They haven't, they haven't finalized that. They haven't brought that to closure. And so they're still worried now what Joseph is going to do when, he, when Dad is, is dead. They think that somehow their father's uh, power and authority over Joseph is restraining his hand. And so they go and they seem to lie to Joseph. And Joseph uh, 
hears this and he weeps. And why is he weeping? Perhaps because uh, he's upset with his brothers that they would do this, that they would uh, bring this lie to him. That surely if, if, jo- if Jacob had some words for, the, for his sons, he would have given them to Joseph himself and not just left them with his brothers to convey. Or maybe Joseph's just sad that his brothers don't trust him enough. At, even after all these years. Whatever it is, Joseph is, is saddened by this. It's also interesting here in verse 18, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. And that brings us, ties us right back to the beginning of the story of Joseph in Genesis 37, where he has dreams of his brothers, his brothers and his father bowing down before him. And we've seen that happen in chapter 42 and 43. And now here at the end of this story, we see it happening again. That dream is fulfilled a number of times in Joseph's life. His brothers bowing before him. But what does Joseph say? Verse 19, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Despite all the power and authority Joseph has, he knows he's not God. He knows he's not the one in ultimate charge of things. Joseph understands who's in charge of his life. And the lives of his brothers as well. Not just his own life, but the lives of his brothers. And he doesn't try and put himself in God's place. He doesn't try and take control of what's not his to control. Joseph knows he's been given certain levels of authority and those are coming from God, but he doesn't saying, I'm putting myself in the place of God. He has a godly perspective on life. He knows that in all of life, It's God who is in charge. And He is not to put Himself in God's place. And yet we struggle with that. We want to put ourselves on the the throne of our lives. To put ourselves in charge. To put God in the back seat and let Him drive from the back seat while I sit behind the wheel of my life and drive my life forward. That's that's our our natural, sinful tendency is to put ourselves, to elevate ourselves above everything else and say, I am in control of my life. I am in charge of everything that goes on. I'm going to control my destiny. Instead of saying, God is in charge. Joseph's perspective was one of humility, of understanding that he is not the one in charge, but God is in charge. We struggle with this. We think, I put my needs. My needs are are important. My needs go ahead of everybody else's. My money belongs to me. I work hard for it. I don't have to share it because it's mine. My name is so important. I don't want to be neglected. I don't want to be put down. This is a hard one. At one point, I was working to come up with some ideas on how to bring some internet connectivity to our mission area, the where we were working, our property that our mission was on. And I'd worked with some uh, providers and I'd come up with some kind of solution and I shared it with my assistant that this is what I was thinking. This was the idea that I had. And we kind of worked it out. We hadn't done anything, but we had this idea. Well, my assistant goes and shares it with another one of the missionaries about what about what 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 we're thinking about. 
And somehow it got well, a little bit got lost in the translation or something because that missionary comes back to me a couple days later and says, you know, Ken had a great idea for internet connectivity. Okay, I'm sitting there now doing a slow burn. Ken had the idea. That was my idea. What are you talking about? I was concerned about me. I was saying that I need to get that recognition for that idea, not someone else. That's our tendency to say, I, I am so important. I am first. That was my idea. But that's hard. But Joseph is showing humility here and saying, no, God is the one in charge. Whatever is happening around, I'm not in the place of God. I understand my place in life. God is in charge. So, Joseph demonstrates real humility there. The next thing we see is that he accepts God's purposes. And we see this in verses 20 and 21. He says in a classic uh, Bible verse here, you intended to harm me. So he's speaking to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph accepted all that had happened because he could see God's purposes in all that happened to him in his life. In all the hardships that he went through, in all the troubles that he had, he could see God's purposes. And he accepted them with grace, with humility, with peace. He was able to step back and see the big picture and see how this was to benefit others. That it wasn't just about him. And that yes, maybe he had gone through some hard times, but there was something that was important to be accomplished there. He said, he said it was to uh, the saving of many lives. So Joseph could look at his life and he could put aside the troubles and he could have that godly perspective in order to say, I can accept God's purposes for me. I can accept the things that happened to me because I have this greater perspective on it. I can see that this was for the benefit of many here. Sometimes we get, we get that focus. We, 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 we just look at our own lives. And we need to take off the blinders and say, what is God doing? Maybe God's doing something bigger here. Maybe I need to expand my vision and try and see what is God doing in my life? What is God doing through me? And even as we're going through difficult times, say, what is God doing? How can I see His purposes being worked out here? Because that's what Joseph could see. Joseph could see God's hand at work in this even through these hard times. He could step back and see the big picture and then accept God's purposes for him in his life. Paul could see, the Apostle Paul could see the big picture in this, in life as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that is. There's been lots of speculation about what that, might, what that thorn in his flesh might have been. Um, but we don't know what it was. But he says, in chapter in Second Corinthians chapter twelve verse eight, he says verse seven and eight. He says there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So it wasn't just a little 
bothersome thing, but there was something that was tormenting him. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, so the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul learned a lesson there of humility. And he says, he, he says the reason for this thorn in the flesh, he also says it was to keep him from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations that he was having. There was a danger of him becoming conceited and saying, wow, I'm receiving all these things from God. I'm having this impact across this huge area of the world as he knew it. I'm planting churches. I'm strengthening churches. I'm speaking to hundreds. I'm changing the lives of many. I'm writing these letters. People are paying attention. They're coming to hear what I have to say. I must be great. And Paul says, that's what could have happened. But God gave him this thorn in his flesh to keep him from becoming conceited, to keep him from becoming proud, to keep him humble. And the reason was so that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So Paul had a similar experience. He could see that God's purposes were greater. And God was doing something great through him, but he had to stay humble. So can we accept God's purposes for us, even when sometimes it means that uh, maybe our life doesn't go so well? That God is doing something uh, and we need to accept that. That God's trying to accomplish something through us. Accomplish His purposes through us. Can we accept God's purposes for us? And have that big picture. Because God is not necessarily in the business of making our life comfortable and pleasurable and smooth sailing. Our life is not necessarily like a cruise ship where God is the captain steering us around so to avoid any storms and, and steering us to smooth water. And He's the steward on this cruise ship and providing us with everything we need and we just ask and He provides us the food and He provides us all the luxuries we want. We sometimes might have that mistaken idea that this is what, what, what our life under God's authority looks like. God might be the captain of our ship, but He's sailing it according to His will, not ours. So maybe we go through suffering and difficulty and hardship for a greater good. That's what Joseph could see, was that greater good that was being accomplished through him. And that was coming from a godly perspective. Some of you may be familiar with that great Vulcan philosopher and scientist, Mr. Spock, the son of Sarek, who once famously said, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I doubt he had the Bible in mind when that was written. But that's an attitude of humility and an attitude of service and an attitude of committing to something even at your own expense of the greater good. In the end, in that story, if those of you who aren't, maybe aren't familiar with it, uh, Mr. Spock gives his life to save the crew and the Enterprise. Um, but, but that's the idea there. Having that bigger perspective on life. You know, we bring that to what's happening to us. And that's a godly perspective. 
And then the last thing that we see here is in the last part of Genesis chapter 50. It says, starting in verse 22, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his, father fam- his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. So he got to see his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren there in Egypt. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Fascinating here that at the point of his death, he has never talked, we don't have any record of him having a hope of returning. Even when he has an opportunity to return to the promised land, he goes back to Egypt. And yet here, at his very deathbed, he has a hope for a future rescue and return to the promised land. He says, God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Interesting here, at the end of his life, we get a glimpse of the hope of a future that Joseph had. Joseph wasn't just seeing his godly perspective. It wasn't just seeing a life in Egypt, but a life in the promised land. And here he has a hope for the future. He never really talked about going back until this point. And here he has, a, but he has that hope for the promised land, a hope for something better, a hope for that that God has for him and his people. He knew that somehow his descendants at some point would go back to Canaan to the promised land and he wanted his bones to go with them. He had no idea how long it was going to be. As it turns out, it was almost 400 years. But he goes back. And when we look ahead, in Gen- in, not in Genesis, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32, we read, that he actually does end up back. It ties the story back nicely. In in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32, it says, And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver. So the end of the story for Joseph is he ends up back in the promised land. 400 and some years later, but he is back in the promised land. His bones are carried back, kept through all those years, and carried back because of the commitment that uh, the people had to fulfill what he had asked. But he had that godly perspective on life that led him to a hope for the future. No matter how you feel about events of the past week, there is hope. There is hope for the future. God is in control. The future is in His hands. We may wonder at the short-term events that are happening around us and how God is at work in all of those things, but we know that God holds the future. We can go 
We are in, Re- in Genesis here. We can go to Revelation and we can read the future. Jesus will come back. He will defeat evil. He will rescue us from every sorrow and every pain. There will be a pl- he will take us to a place where there is no more mourning or sorrow or pain. This is the hope, the ultimate hope that we have. That He will never leave us. He will be with us. We have a hope for a better day. Just a couple weeks ago, we heard a sermon about this from Psalm 23. That we're go- we might be going through that valley of the shadow of death, but God is with us and He's leading us to a better place. And that's the hope that we hold on to in our lives. That's a godly perspective on life. That we have hope. We don't despair. We don't feel so burdened because we have that hope that God is leading us. Even if life is bad, is really miserable, is really hard, everything seems to be going wrong, we know that God is leading us to a safe place. We don't know what that, when that will be exactly. We don't know what that might um, finally look like. We don't know what we might have to go through from here to there, but we hold on to that hope that God is with us and we will be with Him. That God will lead us to a safe place. And so through all of his life, through all that happened, here at the very end of Joseph's life, we see that godly perspective in action, giving him hope. And even on his deathbed, a hope to return to the promised land. So we have, what's our perspective? We see how that impacts our life. What's our perspective on life? should be a godly one. We develop a godly perspective. Try and see things uh, through God's Perspective. Try and see things about how God is working in our lives each step of the way. As we understand God, as we look for His hand at work in us, we will gain His perspective. And then we need to act on it. When it requires us to do something, when that godly perspective requires us to be humble, when it requires us to accept God's purposes even when we understand what's happening, when it requires us to have hope, that's what we need to do. We need to turn that godly perspective into action in our lives. And Joseph is our example for how to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Joseph and for the way he stands with You. And in all these things, and all that he has gone through through his life, Lord, he never lost sight of You and You at work. We pray You'd give us that same vision. Give us that same perspective on life that Joseph had. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.